This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. It is your favorite time of the week. That's right. It's a brand new episode of your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. I am your host, LaChina Robinson, joined by the lovely and my fabulous producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby. And another just amazing stretch of women's basketball news, play on the court, all kinds of stuff going on and swirling around women's basketball life. The WNBA, the ESPYs, the All-Star Game, mm-hmm. all of that, Tarika. I mean, it's it's incredible. You know what I love so much about the WNBA being so young? is that we are literally witnessing history as it happens. And we get to be on the right side of history as it happens. And I love that. And with every game, with every milestone that a player reaches, with every new element that we bring to women's basketball, it's historic. And I can't wait to, you know, be 50 and 60 and tell my kids I was able to, to see that as it happened. So it's exciting. And speaking of milestones, we've got those and we've got history in this show and we've got education in this show because we're covering it all. Yes, we are going to talk about Liz Cambage's 53 points WNBA record. Yes, we're going to talk about Tiffany Hayes game winner at Connecticut from (laughs) 46.7 feet away from the basket, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, we are going to talk about that. We are going to talk about all-star selections, all 22 players just named. We're still waiting on the captain selections that will happen this week. Uh, We'll get into that, um, as well as the starters that will be announced all-star weekend. We also have two very special guests on this show, and I'm just blown away by the information that you are going to get, the insider information that you will get on this show. On the business side of basketball, the money, the teams, the marketing, uh, we have with us on the show the VP of the Connecticut Sun, Amber Cox, one of the most respected professionals in all of professional sports um, in terms of what she's done in the front offices, um, with various teams, but most memorable starting out her time with the Phoenix Mercury. So got a lot to talk about with Amber. And then we also have in the fourth quarter in our Growing the Game spotlight, um, someone who's become a bit of a pioneer in the way he's approached growing the game from the media standpoint, the one, the only, Howard Megdal of High Post Hoops is going to join us in our fourth quarter. Um, Since we have so much to discuss, Tariq and I are going to go ahead and actually right now just jump into the first quarter. First quarter. All right, guys. So we have a lot to talk about. Tariq and I are going to break down all the things we just discussed. I want to send a quick shout out because it is ESPYs week. So just sending some love, some good vibes, a four-leaf clover to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish because the Irish, Arike Gumbawale, they are up for um, some ESPYs that I think they deserve to win. Now, yes, there are other women's basketball players that are up for ESPY nominations and things like that. But to me, it's so special um, and I really want the Irish in Arike to win as many awards as they can because we just came off arguably the greatest Final Four of women's basketball history. So why not cap it off? Yep. I mean, we had Ellen. We had, you know, so many great moments. Um, 
post Final Four, I think this ESPYs will bring a lot of attention to the women's basketball movement. So, Tarika, are they going to win? Well, they're up for best team, and they are also up for um, best play, Arike Agumbawale, for her shot. So, I got them as a lock, but we'll see. Ugh. <laughs> and can I just say, there was one more. Oh, best championship performance. She should have been up for that as well. Like, mm-hmm. no hate, but come on. Like, come on. Like, <sighs> really? I think we're, yeah. I think we're going to call us biased, but it is what it is. <laughs> That's fine. I'll take it. So anyway, um, good luck to the Fighting Irish at the SBs, but moving along, um, 53 points. That's right. Liz Cambage returning to the WNBA this season. Um, has made quite the mark. She scored 53 points in the Dallas Wings win, 104-87, to over the New York Liberty on Tuesday afternoon. Um, she eclipsed Raquana Williams, who set the WNBA record at 51 points with the Tulsa Shock in 2013. The Tulsa Shock obviously moved to Dallas and are now the Dallas Wings, but 17 for 22 from the field was the big girl. Liz Cambage is 6'8". She was Four for five from three-point land, okay? She, I watched this game. I watched every shot, okay? She really didn't score a lot in the third quarter. Most of her damage was done uh, to start the game, and then she had a 20-point stretch in the fourth quarter. It was 11 points in the first, 17 in the second, five in the third, 20 in the fourth quarter. And I, I counted all the different ways she made shots. I mean, free throws, off the bounce, face up, face up, seventeen foot foot jump shot, a high catch over the a lob over the top of the defense underneath the basket, pick and roll, um, off the bounce spin move, turnaround jump shot, mm-hmm. low block post up. Like I have been saying all year long, that there is no other player like Liz Cambage in the WNBA, six eight and hitting threes. We have Brittany Griner. We have. Sylvia Fowles, we have Asia Wilson. Uh, you know, the list goes on in terms of the talented bigs in this league, but Tina Charles, which she's not, I wouldn't say she's huge, but she plays bigger than her size. Like, are you kidding me? There is absolutely nothing, at least on the court, there was nothing that it looked like Liz could not do. Nothing. Like, there was no stopping her. And she said it. She's just feeling it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and matter of fact, and you're right to that point, we're going to hear from Liz, but she also had 10 rebounds and five blocks. Mm-hmm. And this was a tumultuous game. It was all over the place. It was very physical. You know, New York forged a comeback and almost won the game. Fred Williams got tossed. Let's hear from Liz Cambage on her performance. Oh, my goodness. Liz Cambage, a new Dallas Wings record and WNBA record, 53 points. And you did it in that fourth quarter with a three-pointer. Walk me through that play, that three at the end. I don't know. I just was feeling it, I guess. I think I had three threes tonight. Uh, yeah. And your WNBA journey hasn't been like everybody else's. Like you said, you came to this league young. You went back. You came back. So what does this mean to you to get a record like this? That's pretty big. You know, I've had I've, I've had big numbers in China. I've had big numbers in Australia. And I've heard a lot of people say I could never have big numbers here in the WNBA. So I guess this game was for y'all. What you keep doing is proving them wrong. And this game, such a 
such a high emotional game. How important was it to secure this win at home? Yeah, it got pretty wild for the children's game. Uh, but, you know, we didn't come out in the third quarter. We didn't come out as a team. We weren't playing our team game. And we had to switch back and get that back right away. And, yeah, we just had to get a win. You know, that, that Seattle loss hurt us. But we learned a lot from it. And, yeah, it's just good to get the win today. Kicked it into gear in that fourth quarter. Thank you so much for the time. And soak this day in. Thank you. Love you, Mom. <laughs> that was Liz Cambage with the Dallas Wings sideline reporter Alexa Ward and it was Kids Day and it was a little bit of a chippy game for it to be Kids Day so we're glad everyone came out unscathed but by the way Dallas has been playing some great basketball Kevin Durant uh, made a note on Twitter I think it was on the WNBA Hoops um, account that does a lot of women's basketball coverage. They do a great job. I think he commented on one of their pictures like, this could, is this the Liz Cambage era? Like, it, it, it's amazing what she's done, and I, I don't see how it's going to stop. Like, we thought that Brianna Stewart was running away with the MVP award, but if Dallas continues to surge in this direction, and if this is any indication of what we'll see from Liz Cambage from the rest of the season, like, how do you stop her? Like, she can do everything. I mean, that's just basically the only way I can put it. And it's so hard to understand once you see her size in person. Go see her in person. You will not understand how 6'8 is moving around and doing the things that she is doing. And you'll have an opportunity to see her on national television Thursday night as the Dallas Wings will be taking on the visiting Washington Mystics at 8 p.m. on ESPN2. Um and moving on to the All-Star game, something else that will happen during that broadcast is the All-Star captains will name their team. So the WBA All-Stars were named yesterday on ESPN during SportsCenter. And, um, Tarika, let's jump into that conversation about WNBA All-Stars. What do we have? Yeah. So, um, as you mentioned, this is the first time that they are actually having an All-Star selection that does not have a regard for conference affiliation. So the fans, the media, the head coaches, they all got together to vote. And this is what they've come up with. So they've divided them in positions. So for our guards, we've got Simone Augustus, who's on her eighth all-star selection. Sue Bird, 11 all-star selections. Skylar Diggins-Smith, she's on her fourth. Uh, Chelsea Gray, we've talked about countless times how awesome of a season she's having. She's on her second all-star selection. Jewel Lloyd, first-time all-star and such a deserving one at that. Um, Kayla McBride, glad to see her back, and she's doing well in Las Vegas. Allie Quigley, uh, Diana Tarazi, ninth All-Star selection when we talk about some of the best players in the world ever to play the sport. We know Diana's name is at the top of the list. And Christy Tolliver, I mean, she's out here coaching. She's out here balling, and now she's also a second-time All-Star. Um, from a front court's perspective, we've got Dewana Barner, and I know you and I have talked about how much uh, of an impact she's had out in Phoenix. Um, Liz Cambage, as you've mentioned, second all-star selection, which says a lot compared, considering um, the time that she took away from the WNBA to come back and, and be mentioned um, as an all-star is amazing. Tina Charles, her sixth all-star selection. Elena Della Don uh, just hit a 3,000-point uh, milestone, quickest to do it. And now she's on her fifth all-star selection and is also one of the captains this year. Brittany Griner, she's on her fifth all-star selection. Sylvia Fowles, the 2017 MVP 
fifth all-star selection. Angel McCautry coming back from not playing last year in the WNBA to being not um, named a fifth-time all-star. Maya Moore, um, she's a sixth all-star selectee. Um, she was named captain, but she declined, but I'm sure we'll get more into that a little later in the show. Chenea Gumake, I'm super excited about her being named an all-star. We know Yay! how much she's battled to be back on the court. So for her to be um, a second-time all-star and for her to get that, it's just amazing. Uh, NECA, fifth-time all-star. I can't be the only person hoping her and NECA get to play on the same team. Um, Candace Parker, fifth-time all-star selection. She's the other captain. Um, Brianna Stewart, second-time all-star. And our girl, friend of the podcast, Asia Wilson, rookie and first-time all-star. You got Dawn over there losing her mind on social media that she is an all-star right now. So there we have it. Those are our 22 players. Okay, Tariki, we got to listen. She already knows this is coming. Brianna. Oh, no God. Brianna's. Look, we don't have what? any Brianna's. Here we go. Brianna. We look, do have some Brianna's, but yeah, you didn't check Brianna. me. You have checked me Eight in person. Times. You have checked me in person, <laughs> Brianna, and I'm still messing it up. I'm fine. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I forgive you, but congratulations to all of the all stars. Congratulations to everyone that made it. It's going to be so much fun in Minnesota. I mentioned earlier some of the announcements that are to come. Um, congrats again to Sue Bird, who is, is now at her 11th appearance. And we will move on. Oh, one more thing. Yes, as Tarika noted earlier, um, there were some changes to the all-star um, format this year where it's the best 22 players like it was not Eastern Conference it was not West Conference um, basically the best 22 players and they also chose captains much like we saw with the NBA when I say chose captains the two players that were the highest vote getters are automatically the captains Maya Moore relinquished her captain's responsibility or decided not to do it actually let's say let's let's read it specifically Moore informed the WNBA that she is unable to perform her captaincy duties at this time. So Candace Parker will select. That means Elena Deladon, who was the second highest vote getter behind Maya, will get the first pick. Candace Parker will get the second pick, and then they will go back and forth until until their entire teams are chosen. Um, the All-Star Game itself will happen, let's see, July 28th at the mm-hmm. Target Center in Minneapolis. Um, and it will happen at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time between Team Deladon and Team Parker. That's the way we should refer to it moving on. And um, and I saw the uniforms, be, and they are hot. They're lit. I know. They they're are lit. Hot. And this used to be – I mean, everyone loved the East and West, but I, this is going to make it fun. And, yes, we do wish that they um, broadcasted the selection of the players. That would have made it even more fun, but who cares? It's still going to be a cool experience. Um. That's it on All-Star. The last thing we want to hit in this first quarter is the hit. The hit. hit. The shot. (laughs) Right. That Tiffany Hayes hit um, and the Atlanta Dreams win over the Connecticut Sun in Connecticut. It was a ridiculous game. It was tied at 83-83. I thought we were going into overtime. I was watching it live with my cousin. And the next thing I know, we were screaming because Tiffany hit a shot from 40 6.7 feet away. And according to the WNBA, it was the longest made shot in WNBA regular season history. 
it's so rare that this this happens, especially for a game winner. Like, I, I don't even know. Um, and, and it was interesting because down the stretch, that trade that we broke down last week between Lasia Clarendon, Alex Bentley, you know, these teams had some recent like, hey, we've got your player. We've got your player. And those players were involved in, in a lot game. of plays. <laughs> right, down the stretch. Yeah, they were involved in a lot of those plays down the stretch. And... At the end of the day, I mean, I mean, how do you, what do you do when a player makes a shot from that far away? And, and it just blew my mind that it went in. And, and let's think about it. Atlanta has won five straight games. This team, which I don't know why they weren't in the playoff picture based on the WNBA AP preseason selections. I don't know why. But did I see Atlanta playing at the level they've been playing as of, as of late? No. Yeah, I thought they were going to be a playoff team, but they're 13 and 9. They've won five in a row, including over Phoenix on the road against Connecticut, against a tough, tough Washington Mystics team at Washington and Washington again at home. Nikki Collin has found the secret juice. She has. She's found the juice. You know what? I said when I watched the game last night, I was like, this reminds me of the undefeated slogan, unconventional and never boring. That is how Atlanta has played since the big news last week when they've traded uh, Lasia Clarendon. And you mentioned it on a prior podcast that the team didn't look exactly the way Nikki Collin had envisioned it. So she made some changes and she did some things to the roster to get it to where she wanted it to be. And now look at them. So this is going to be, this is going to continue to be interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> like seriously, it, it it's like crazy. And I get to sit courtside and, and call the dream games and see it up, up close. They're fun. And Jessica Breland is playing like, out of her mind. She's the reigning Eastern Conference Player of the Week. Renee Montgomery has been a great addition. But Tiffany Hayes, to me, that's why I thought she should be an all-star, is arguably the best two-way player at the at the guard position in the league right now. Um, and so Angel McCautry did not start against Connecticut, but put up crazy numbers. Mm-hmm. We see her getting back to form. And Elizabeth Williams, who doesn't often get the credit. And then you go to the bench, and it's Brittany Sykes. Okay, I'm going to cut it out now because I know that the dream beat your son, um, Tarika. But <sighs> keep your eyes on Atlanta because they are hot and they are rolling. That's all right. Um, fans, <laughs> stay right where you are. Second quarter coming up with Amber Cox. Let's talk the business of basketball. Second quarter, inside the huddle. All right, basketball fans, it's time to go inside the huddle. And as you know, on Around the Rim, that means we're getting ready to give you a little bit of scoop. So Tariq and I have been fielding tons of emails, having our own conversations of back and forth on social. Just everyone is talking about the business side of the WNBA. What needs to happen? Um, what has happened? Where's the W stack up with the NBA? Why are we even comparing the two? Um, so we wanted to bring in an expert of all experts when it comes to the business side of this league, whether it's marketing, um, you know, great ideas on, on how to grow the league in general, the team market, just the business side of it. Uh, please join me in welcoming not only an outstanding executive, uh, but also a good friend of mine, Amber Cox, who's the vice president of the Connecticut Sun. Welcome, Amber. Thank you. Great to be here with you. 
Well, you and I have forged a friendship over the years that you've been involved in this league and you've been in it longer than I have. Take the fans um, through just even your background, starting with where basketball came into your life and, and then to where you are right now with the Sun. Yeah, I mean, it really started at a young age with my dad, you know, like so many of us watching when there was like two NBA games on a Sunday and one was the Lakers and one was the Celtics. I was just this kid growing up in the Midwest. My dad was six foot seven or is six foot seven. He loves basketball. So that's how I spent my Sunday afternoons with my dad was watching basketball and he loved the Celtics. So I loved the Celtics and Larry Bird kind of became my guy. So, you know, fell in love with the sport. I was able to play at an NAIA school in Missouri, William Woods University, uh, and then really wanted to be um, in sports journalism or something. I was an English major, and that led me down the road to being a sports information director at a small college in Missouri. That job evolved into being an assistant athletic director where I really got my hands on a lot of different things on the small college level, marketing, game presentation, the foundation, which has served me well as I've gone through my career because it allows me to be a bit of a jack-of-all-trades. Um, I was at that job for five years and then applied to be the director of marketing for the Phoenix Mercury. And Jay Perry, who recently stepped down as the COO of the WNBA, hired me. She was then the COO of the Mercury. Took a chance on me. I really didn't know much about the business of basketball or the business of sports coming from small college. Uh, but she taught me everything I needed to know. I was there nine years, and over that time, we won a couple of titles, and I became the COO, um, and it, when I left, the organization was running the business and the basketball, um, and then stepped into the Big East as the Associate Commissioner for Women's Basketball, as you know, LaChina, for a couple of years, uh, then... Yeah went into uh, soccer, which was a foreign land to me, uh, but really enjoyed my time in MLS with the Houston Dynamo and also the Houston Dash the, uh, in the women's league for a couple of years. But knew my heart was really in the WNBA and got a call from Mitchell, Mitchell Edis, uh, the longtime CEO of Mohegan Sun, who I knew from my days of the Mercury, and they had a vacancy here with the departure of Chris Sienko. So uh, we had a good conversation. I came to visit. I saw the team play live, their last game, of the 2017 season, met Kurt, absolutely fell in love with him, what he was building, his belief system, and here I am two years later. And what an incredible job um, that you've done, not just with Phoenix. I mean, every time I go to Phoenix, I'm always like, I mean, the, the fans, just the entire engagement there, um, it's an incredible place to take in a WNBA game. And if – you know, the, anyone listening has not and has an opportunity. Um, a lot of that had to do with the synergy and, and the changes in the movement, not just yourself, as you mentioned, but also Jay, who uh, you guys were both integral in, in kind of getting Phoenix in there, following to where it is. And um, I, I see your staple as well with the Connecticut Sun. I mean, just from a visual standpoint, I'm not in your meetings every day and I have no idea exactly how it's all happening, but the branding since you've arrived has grown tenfold 
um, and, and no knock to whoever was in your your position previously, but I think it's there's just a, a creativity, especially in the social space, and um, you know just how you guys are showing your athletes as more than athletes. Some of the programming that you're doing for your players is outstanding. And, and hey, you know what? We used to say, okay, where are the most attractive markets for WNBA players to go? Right? And everyone always says, oh, big city because they travel internationally. Well, Connecticut's not a big city. But what you guys have done in terms of the support for your your excuse me, big, big state, sorry, um, my mother would be she's going to call me when she hears that. Said Connecticut's not a city. I'm like keep listening. Um, but you know what you guys have been able to do to attract uh, free agents and and players are saying, hey, we want to play Connecticut. I think has been major as well. So let's tap into some of your knowledge. One of the big, or I say hot topics that's happening right now, Amber, and you and I have both gone back and forth in a social space around this is the growth of the business of the WNBA um, in terms of player salaries, you know, being comparable to NBA players. We hear that argument sometimes. The marketing of the league, um, just fans having, be exposed to the WNBA, them also feel like they're being marketed to um, I mean, the, the levels of discussion when it comes to the growth of this league are endless. But let's start with these NBA comparisons because there's been so much talk, right? Um, why are people comparing the WNBA to the NBA from a business standpoint? And is does that even make sense? I, it really doesn't. I'm always kind of taken aback by that argument and also the argument that, you know, we're only around because we're associated with the NBA. I mean, it's, it's again, you, you can't really get sucked into the people, and I do from time to time, the trolls, if you will, that want to just argue for the sake of arguing that the WNBA shouldn't be around. And the truth of the matter is you've got now more independent teams in the WNBA than you do have, than you have affiliated with NBA franchises. So, you know, we are very much standalone businesses, and, and you take the WNBA as a league out of it. You know, what I'm really focused on is how do we move the Connecticut Sun forward every day, and you talked about Jay in Phoenix and laying that foundation. You know, what she really taught me and I think has remained a consistent focus there, and certainly what I've taken with me wherever I've gone is, like, you know, you've got – three real revenue streams um, that we're focused on on a daily basis. And we have a, a small staff. I mean, it's, Mohegan Sun is giant, and we are supported by this unbelievable organization. But when you talk about people that are really focused on the sports teams, you know, we're in the neighborhood of like 15 to 20 when you count sales reps and marketing and creative people and social media and PR. Um so, you know, we have to be really focused. We can't wander too far off course. So for us, it's about driving those ticket sales, getting more people into the building. Uh, we are incredibly fortunate to have the fan base that we have and the people that support us. I mean, Tuesday night, it is a torrential downpour, like tornado warnings all around. And I'm thinking, you know, we'll be lucky if a third of the building is full. And by tip-off, you know, the whole lower bowl is full and we've got, you know, maybe a fourth of the upper level full. So, you know, just that support on a nightly basis that we get already just because it's Connecticut and people love their women's basketball and respect it, um, I think is, you know, we don't take that for granted. But then for us, it's about utilizing great processes to get new people in the building and, 
walk them up the ladder. So if I am going to go out and allow someone to sample the product through a complimentary ticket offer, maybe through a sponsor or just something we're doing in the community, um, say it's like uh, we go out to a camp and say, all right, every camper gets a complimentary ticket to a game, and then the parents have to buy a discounted ticket. Then when they go and redeem that ticket, we've got their information. That creates an opportunity to have a conversation with those people at those games. You hope to then get them into a four-game package or at least come out to another game, and then eventually you want to build that loyalty to a point where they're a full-season ticket holder. Now, we, you know, I think the world has changed and the landscape has changed, and especially when you're talking about parents and families and, you know, these kids that are all over in the summertime and especially the ones that really love to play basketball, there's a lot of, you know, traveling around. So they may not be able to come to every game. So we try to be really flexible. We allow people to, you know, do a game exchange. If they can't make it to one game, we'll give you extra tickets to a game that you can't attend in order to give them the opportunity to be our most loyal customer, and that's a full-season ticket holder. So that's that's one stream that we're focused on. We have a sales team of seven to ten people that are working on, on that every single day, focused on it, also retaining and servicing our existing customers. Then you have our sponsorship piece, um, you know, that we're constantly looking at new uh, ways to bring in new businesses, new organizations that want to get behind the WNBA. Obviously, one of the things I think the WNBA did in 2009 was step up and say, we're going to allow that marquee jersey sponsorship, uh, which became a great revenue resource. We were the first to sell it in Phoenix to LifeLock, and now that's a pretty standard practice. I think almost every team now has that jersey sponsorship. So so being creative and providing that type of inventory, our theme nights have provided a great opportunity, everything from Pride to Hometown Heroes to BHA. You find those organizations that are passionate about, you know, diversity, inclusion. Uh, in our, you know, military is huge in our uh, part of the country, so maybe you feel, feel very passionate about that. They can come on and support just specific nights if they want to. So being creative, being really flexible in that space, that's the other one. And I think for, for again, just speaking to the Connecticut Sun, I think local television is a, a real focal, focus for us too. Um, we, we are, um, you know, one of the things when I came in is really took a look at what we were doing from a live access standpoint, how many local t- games we had on local TV, um, and we really took that up a notch with the, our partnership with NBC Sports Boston. We've now got like 25 games plus. Um, on that station, and then our local Fox affiliate carries a few. Uh, Bob Husler, who's been a mainstay since day one on our broadcast, and then creating some consistency, obviously having Rebecca Lobo and Mark and her doing a few games, and then bringing on, uh, Sarah Kustock, our good friend, uh, to help us out as well, I think has created you know a really nice-looking um, broadcast that we're able to put out there, and that within that exists inventory that um, sponsors, you know, are excited to be a part of. So for me, when I'm looking at every day when I come in and how do I do the job and how do I push this thing forward, it's really those three areas. Uh, and, and when people talk about, you know, comparison to the NBA, I mean, we're in year 22. I think they're in year 70-something. So there's quite a, a jump that they have on us <laughs> in terms of years, and I think – Sometimes we're impatient, and we just have to be patient. Because if I look at the growth that's been 
that's happened since I started in the league in 2005, it's, it's unreal in those three areas. So um, I think it's just really being diligent and focused um, and consistent in trying to move those three areas forward. You mentioned, um, wow, and that's also great. I'm starting to think of, of of marketing this podcast now, and I'm like, maybe we should market it to other teams as well so they can get some of these good ideas. Uh, because I think your wealth of experience and even, you know, what you guys did with the X Factor, like some of those things that have stuck in Phoenix and are sticking in Connecticut, um, you know, are, 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 are things that all teams, and not to say they're not doing, but, um, you know, can, can glean from. But you mentioned independent teams and not NBA-affiliated can you just give our fans quickly just what the differences are um, between those teams? And then as much as you can, what is the the backing of the NBA, of the WNBA versus maybe what the world thinks they perceive as what the backing is, if that makes sense? Yeah. I mean, I like uh, from a backing standpoint, I'll I'll just talk about the, the resources and the people. And again, like, I've stepped out into soccer, uh, the collegiate world a little bit, and going from basketball and the NBA, WNBA family into those other areas, and I'm not knocking those areas because, you know, MLS is still relatively new as well, you have such a wealth of knowledge and information and best practices at the league office, Um, and I think the relationships with your peers across you know, not only the WNBA, but the NBA and the connections that the people that are working at the league office can help you make. If you're having, say, uh, trouble with uh, group ticket sales, for example, I can reach out to my uh, team marketing and business operations uh, representative at the uh, league office and say, listen, can you send me some best practices? And then I've got from every league in the uh, NBA, WNBA, G League family, like a wealth of knowledge at my fingertips. And then they're, they're always really good about making that connection. So the networking is great. So, and that's not just at my level. That happens for my sales manager. That happens for the person running my game ops. Um, it happens for our creative teams. Uh, so, so having that at your fingertips, I think, is the most valuable piece for a young league because, again, the NBA has got so much experience on us in terms of doing these things, ticket sales, sponsorship, television, whatever those facets and those pillars are, that we can just lean on what has worked and hasn't worked. Um, so I think that's a big piece of it for sure. So it, it's not really – I'm not really addressing any sort of, like, financial piece there, but that is. I mean, the people and the time and the energy that is put into – you know, being able to provide us with those resources, I think, is super, super valuable. When you talk about an independent team versus an affiliated team, you know, it's, again, it, gets, it comes down to a lot of times people um, and um, maybe expertise. So in Phoenix, you may have a sales department or an affiliated team, a sales department of 50 people, and they're focused on multiple things, and some of that is the WNBA. Everybody does it a little bit differently. Um, but when you're at an independent team, you know, you just have a smaller staff. You know, again, we're 7 to 10, um, and we're solely focused on the WNBA in this season, and then we have our indoor lacrosse team that that same group also focuses on when they're playing in the winter. So, um, you know, it's just a smaller staff. I don't know that 
at the end of the day, you usually have a marketing go-to, uh, whether you're an affiliated or an independent team, you've got a PR person. So, again, the models have been built based on best practices um, of what we've seen in the NBA through the years, and then those have been passed down um, you know, in the WNBA as well from those teams that have been around for a long time. And you look at a team like Phoenix, I think the success is just the connectivity between Jay to me, and now you have you know, somebody who I consider is a creative genius in Vince Kozar, um, you know, is doing things differently, um, taking things to the next level, but a lot of those tried and true best practices, um, you know, he's still he's still working on a daily basis. Yeah, I love Vince. I mean, the whole staff, that's one of my favorite things is, you know, being at All-Star, different events where we get to see, um, you know, everyone's front office staff or people coming together. And I think last year in particular was, uh, was last year Seattle? Yes. Um, we saw, it seemed like a larger number of WNBA front office staff members, like coming to the all-star game, getting together. Like you said, you, you've got friends and people who are willing to pick up the phone and say, Hey, how do you do this? And, um, just some of the sharing that goes on. You know, we, we often look at people talk about WNBA expansion, right? And, and Lisa often says, you know, we want to make sure that the, the 12 teams we have are, are stable and in good standing. What are some of the things that you think stand between, and I know every team is different, every market is different, but what are some of the major areas or major things that stand between a team um, being in the red and not, or for the WNBA to be a self-sustainable league? Yeah, yeah I mean, it, to your point, it really varies uh, market by market, you know, what you deem uh, successful. I think one of the things that's worked really well for us, and you see, I mean, this being a part of Mohegan Sun with an arena in the casino and the foot traffic clearly has worked really well. I mean, so well, we have another team that is basically modeled exactly the same. Um, so, you know, I think it's finding some of those things that work and similar, um, you know, similar tendencies. Because again, you can learn from one another in terms of now I've got uh, pretty much a look-alike, other than one's Uncasville and one's Las Vegas. <laughs> but, you know, we have a lot of day-to-day -day things that are very similar that we can talk about. I think some of the other teams, you know, the competitiveness of a marketplace comes into play. you got to figure out, like, how to break through. Um, and that's why I really believe on the marketing side, so much of the digital and social content is imperative when you talk about telling our own stories. We have these tools now and these resources um, that allow us to, you know, basically create content and promote it to audiences that we want to reach. So when you talk about the emphasis that we now put on social and digital media in Connecticut, one of the first things I did when I came in is say, like, we have to have an in-house video person. I need an in-house designer. A lot of stuff was being outsourced to a creative agency, and I wanted us to be really nimble and have the ability on any given day to go and grab Cheney and say, you know, let's sit down and have a conversation about XYZ or we want to tell this story. A great example is Friday night is our hometown heroes night. Um, Rachel Bannum's mom and dad were both in law enforcement, her grandfather as well. So, you know, we're going to sit down and sort of talk with her. We're going to create that piece and use that on our own channels, and we can push it out to different audiences. Now, we're really fortunate in that we have a lot of coverage with the, from traditional media in our market, but 
for those that don't, like you have the tools now to tell your own story. So for us, it really is about um, taking it upon ourselves uh, to create that content, um, to push it out, to make sure that we're getting different eyeballs, making connections um, with fans that, you know, you may not be thinking about basketball, but I may hear Rachel Bannum's story or, you know, Kurt Miller just, you know, had a great article that was featured locally, and he's done a lot of things around pride. Make a connection and say, wow, I really want to get behind that individual, and then they become just a diehard fan of the team. So any way we can, sometimes it still feels like we're going door-to-door with this, but what I think, you know, video and social and uh, media allows us to do is do that quicker. Wow, we are getting so much great insight here from Amber Cox. Amber, this is outstanding. Um, Fans, stay right where you are because coming up after this break, we've just got a couple more questions for Amber as we talk the business of the WNBA, including why don't WNBA players make more money and some questions from our fans. So stick right where you are. um, And uh, we'll be back right after this. Third quarter. Hey, basketball fans, we are back. It is the third quarter, and we are still with the vice president of the Connecticut Sun, Amber Cox, who's giving us all the inside scoop on the business of the WNBA. And, Amber, another conversation that we're seeing happen um, quite often in the social space is why don't WNBA players get paid more money? Now, that is a um, that is a lot, I know, to unpack, but can you give us the short and sweet of where you feel like Um, the WNBA is right now as it pertains to player salaries? I I, I won't necessarily comment on that specifically, but I'll just say, you know, everything we've been talking about, all boats rise with the tide. You know, as we push this thing forward, that really benefits um, everyone. So, you know, for me, it's about just staying really focused on the things that I can impact on a daily basis, the ticket sales, the sponsorships, you know, our local television deals, pushing out great social and digital content, doing whatever we can from a business standpoint to grow it every single day. I love that. And we will. I know fans have been asking us. We are going to start on Around the Room, diving a little bit more to the CBA discussions. We plan on reaching out to the Players Association because that's been a big thing um, in discussion in terms of percentage of revenue and all that on social. So, um, But from Amber's side of it, hey, you buy tickets. If you want your WNBA player to make more money, <laughs> all ties ride together. So support the league. Um, and eventually all growth will happen together. And we have one more question for you, Amber, and it comes from one of our fans of Around the Rim. What do you have, Tarika? We do. Actually, we have a question and a statement for Amber. So I'm going to read the statement first. This is from Daryl Powell, and he just wants you to know that the Connecticut Sun is back. He thinks that they are the deepest team in the league, and what is considered, in his opinion, the best season he's seen in the league. He said he's been following this league since 1997, and he's thoroughly impressed, and he's even more impressed with his Connecticut son, and he's really enjoying it. So there you go. That's for you. Uh, (laughs) It's been a fun year, to say the least. You know, you get really close to these people and the coaching staff and the players, and they're just 
incredible human beings and, you know, the things that they do in our community, uh, even aside from what they're doing on the court. I mean, you, today is an off day, and I, as I'm, like, getting out of bed to get in the shower, Chanae's, like, on SportsCenter. I mean, yep. she's, she's yes. superhuman. So uh, they're she just is. phenomenal individuals, but certainly the play on the court has just been out of this world and so fun to watch. Okay, now our question comes from Jill Eshavaria. She is relatively new to the party. She really just started following the WNBA very seriously about a year ago because her daughter just started playing basketball, who's about 11. And so she says, um, it seems to me that this summer there's been a lot of chatter and movement, especially on social media, around the general disrespect the WNBA gets, the pay issue, um, the worthiness of women's basketball, the future of it, and that sort of thing. She believes that the most of this conversation is due to the fact that some of our newer players to the league are just not afraid to speak up, i.e. Asia Wilson, Amani McGee, um, and that maybe more basketball fans are in general um, checking out the WNBA after such an exciting NCAA tournament. So she says, I guess my question is, does this movement feel different to you than those of the past? Um, or does just kind of feel like more of the same, whereas people are on it for a little bit, but then they just kind of fall off? What do you think? I, I, you can definitely feel a ton of momentum. And, you know, I think it's just, it, it, it's a bit of a reflection of what's happening in the world around, you know, women being outspoken about every kind of issue. Um, and, you know, I think there's, I've always said this, there's no better um, showcase of equality in, for our young girls to see than women playing basketball for a living. And so the fact that, you know, these these younger players, but I would even say, all of our players are being so active on social media. It just increases our reach tenfold in terms of, you know, reaching out to more people. And then you see the NBA guys jumping on board because they're friends with the W players. And you see some influencers coming in like a Shea Serrano that's sort of jumped on the bandwagon. Um, and, and that just casts a wider net. And it's just, again, what used to feel like, a bit of door-to-door sales because we weren't able to do the things we're able to do with social media. Um, it, it does feel like that momentum is really catching on. And then all you have to do, I mean, we've all said this, all you have to do is get somebody through the door one time. And then you see how great the play is, um, you know, how great the entertainment is in our arenas around the game. Uh, you know, we've put a lot of emphasis on that piece in Connecticut so that if kids are coming or people that, you know, are maybe just casual basketball fans, like they're having the time of their life because we're entertaining you from uh, 30 minutes before tip-off until the final horn and sometimes even after that if we've got festivities going on post-game. So I definitely feel like uh, there's great momentum for the league. A lot of credit goes to our players um, and certainly, you know, all the, the voice that they're giving that they have through their social media certainly takes it a long way. Amber, you have just, I mean, not only educated us here on Around the Rim, but I, I know everyone that listens to this um, and, and everyone that pre- presses the click and listen button on this podcast will learn more about the business of the WNBA and just hear your passion for it. Like, I can't thank you. We can't thank you enough 
um, you know, just for blazing that trail, um, being someone that that started something very special at the Phoenix Mercury that we could all get excited about, being someone who's now at the Connecticut Sun that the Sun fans and the Connecticut women's basketball fans could be excited about. Uh, thank you for all the work that, that you're doing and your passion for it because what people don't understand is everything that's happening in the front office of WNBA has not been done before. We're in, in uncharted territory in this 22nd season of popularity, of social media, of social responsibility. So decisions are being made every day in marketing and money spent and um, just all of those things. And uh, we appreciate your leadership in that space, Amber, and all, and all you've done for the league. Well, thank you so much. And I certainly appreciate what the two of you do, you know, this podcast how active you are on social media, spreading the good word and, and being great examples and role models yourself. I think, you know, that goes a long way and has helped us grow this thing too. So thank you both. Fourth quarter. Out of bounds. All right, basketball fans, we are heading into our fourth quarter where we are once again having our growing the game segment. It's Absolutely my favorite segment of the show and it's where we highlight other people in our community and in our media and in our women's basketball world who are continuing to grow our game. And this week we are going to bring editor in chief of High Post Hoops. Um, he's also the host of Locked On Women's Basketball Podcast, and he recently wrote a piece for the New York Times that was really good. So if you haven't read it, you absolutely must. But Machina and I are happy to welcome Mr. Howard McDosh to the show. Thank you, guys. Really, really a great pleasure to be with you. Howard, we are so excited to have you because um, you I'm trying to think of an example. We could use Liz Cambage and her return to the WNBA. But when I say you have busted on the scene mm-hmm. of women's basketball and become um, really one of the most influential members from a media aspect and how the game is covered, how it's talked about, but also bringing new fans and new media into the fold. I mean, you, you've been major to, to women's hoops. Tell us about your introduction into the women's basketball world and how things progress into where you are now with High Post Hoops. Well, you know, it's interesting. So I got out of school in 2002 and got into this business, and I've had the opportunity to cover just about every sport at virtually every level from literally gone up through professional. And I've always enjoyed it. I've always enjoyed uh, telling the stories, uh, no matter what the sport has been. But as you get more and more uh, uh, experience in this business, it's really almost impossible unless you are consciously looking away not to see this massive gap between the amount of stories and the depth of those stories that are being told uh, about women's sports and the depth of stories and how often they're being told about men's sports. And so I had kind of this epiphany experience in the fall of 2015 uh, where at the time I was writing uh, and covering the World Series, which was you know right here in New York, uh, and I was also covering the WNBA playoffs. And I did an interview with David Wright, uh, but it was not what you would call a one-on-one. There were about 50 of us uh, after Game 5 of the World Series. And I walked away from it, and Wright was a pleasure to deal with, and I was happy to write the story and, and enjoyed it a great deal. But it occurred to me that, obviously, those stories would have gone on whether I was there or not. 
And then a couple of days later, I was at the Garden uh, for a deciding game between the Fever and the New York Liberty and uh, had convinced my editor to go write about Tamika Catchings. Uh, I don't have to tell you, you know, you can make an argument that she is the best player in the history of the league. And the fact that there was nobody else there to go deep talking to her prior to the game and the fact that she had this you know, experience for the ages, leading the the fever uh, to victory. Uh, And I walked away from there thinking, well, if that story wasn't being told in a comprehensive way, how many other stories aren't being told in that way that aren't even about the greatest player in the history of the league? And so I decided that I would, you know, I've always been a freelancer. I would devote more and more of my time and energy to being able to tell these stories whenever I could as my primary goal. And that was really the shift that occurred. And uh, I have uh, yet to find anywhere close uh, to an end point. Uh, There are just more and more wonderful stories uh, happening today where the game is going. And, of course, uh, telling those stories of yesteryear that we may have missed. I absolutely love that because you're right. And and how often do we look at those numbers and we say, what is it? Maybe 3% of all sports stories right now that are being told or sports coverage is, is dedicated to women. Um, and, And I love what you're doing because you do it from a different angle. People can look at me and say, Oh, of course she's going to cover uh, women's basketball because she played, but you're a very respected journalist um, at every level. And, and and for you to look at the landscape and make this observation and decide to dedicate your time to, to growing this sport, which at times can be a little frustrating because some of the things that were attempted to do to grow women's basketball has never been done. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's some really good days and there's some days like, hey, are people listening? What's going on? Right. But the excitement is probably, I would say, at an all-time high right now coming off of the best Final Four. At least I'm calling it the best Final Four in the history of the college game. Um, The last two WNBA finals between the Minnesota Lynx and the L.A. Sparks. I mean, I don't have to tell you. um, You understand all of that. But one thing you mentioned before we continue on this conversation that I want people to hear is – Your thoughts on Tamika Catchings um, being the greatest player. I know you put a lot of stock in win shares. Um, Mm -hmm. You're an analytics guy and things like that. Tell, tell, get, make your argument for Tamika Catchings being the greatest uh, WNBA player in history. Well, the way I'd put it is that, and and it's fun, Doug Feinberg of the AP, uh, who's a friend and someone I have a tremendous amount of respect for uh, on the media side as well, he and I always have this back and forth where, you know, I focus a lot on the numbers and he is all about the eye test. And what's great about Tamika Catchings is that you don't have to choose. You know, you can go by the numbers. And so let's talk about win shares. Win shares is an imperfect way of doing it, but you can measure uh, overall offensive, defensive stats. Uh, and she's at, I want to say, 92.65. Um, I'm just off the top of my head. Um, the next highest is Lauren Jackson at around 73. So that would argue that not only statistically is she the greatest player in terms of total accomplishment in the history of the league, she's about 20% ahead of anybody else. Uh, which, uh, you know, to me is an astonishing thing. And at the same time, when you look at the eye test, and you know this, I, I watched those Indiana Fever teams, and there was talent on it to be sure, but she lifted that talent. She took that team. Those teams didn't miss the playoffs 
year after year after year with Tamika Catchings. And I, I will, you know, to the day I die, believe that that New York Liberty team was vastly more talented than the Indiana Fever team that came in and beat them uh, with a home crowd that was absolutely deliriously cheering uh, for the Liberty. And so... I, that combination of factors, you know, lifting one's team and just the numbers that you see, there are other great players in this game. And, and to be frank, there's a different conversation, which is that I think Maya Moore is on track to potentially equal or exceed what Tamika Catchings did. But she's got to do it for a lot longer. Catchings was a top 10 player in the league right up until the day she retired. I listen, you do not have to tell me about the Tamika Ketchings residue, <laughs> Howard, because that is what I that's what I refer to it as. Right. So when I run across these players that have played beside Tamika Ketchings at any point in time, we call it the residue, whether that's Breon January, right. whether that's, you know, Shanice Johnson, um, you just are changed by how hard she plays the game. And we all know when the individual pieces perform at a higher level than the team does, right? Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I love that argument. We continue to have that discussion often on Around the Room about the greatest player. And it, of course, it's like, is it, are we talking greatest WNBA player? Are we talking about greatest women's player of all time on all levels, greatest college players? So then this could go in a lot of different directions. But I, I love your thinking behind it. And of course, who's going to argue that to make a catch it is, is not great. Um, and, and, and I so, love that it's a debate. You know, I, I don't think, yes. it, I, I think it's a good starting point. You know, I know I sound definitive about it, but that's just my opinion. But I love that there's conversation around it. And to my mind, that's where the numbers come in. That's where it's not just, well, I saw player A, well, I saw player B, you know, where you can marshal arguments. And uh, I think it makes a big difference for media as well, because, you know, that ends up being a starting point for me for a lot of stories that I end up writing. You know, I'll notice that a player is doing something significantly better. And then, you know, I'll go ask about it. I just did a Brianna Stewart story for The Athletic, and I noticed, you know, well, gee, why is her player efficiency rating so much higher? She was already an elite player in years one and two. Well, Synergy had her numbers in the pick and roll, and she was uh, significantly better. She went from very good to top two in the league. And it turns out she spent this offseason doing a lot of, uh, she put a two-man, three-man games with Jewel Lloyd and with Sue Bird, and suddenly I got an insight into sort of how she goes about becoming a better player. So to me, the numbers in that, in that way led to the stories, and that's a driver of good journalism. And that is an awesome aspect of understanding why Brianna Stewart is at the top of almost everyone's MVP conversation is Mm -hmm. those strides that she has made in her offensive attack and the changes and tweaks. And I mean, if it's NBA season and I love, you know, the NBA, I mean, I don't watch a ton of it um, only because I'm busy covering women's basketball. But if you, if if this was the NBA, that story would have been told a million times. If there's no Howard Megdal, that story is not told. So I want to ask you this. Um, We hear the phrase grow the game so often and whether that's this is what uh, needs to happen from a player standpoint to grow the game, or this is what the league office needs to do, or this is what this team in this all in this region of the world needs to do. This is what the media needs to do different. Like everyone has an opinion on how um, women's basketball is going to grow. What are some of the, the, the hot topics for you, or what are the most important aspects of that conversation for you, Howard, and, and all the miles you've traveled in, in covering and growing this game? What's important for people to know? 
I, I mean, it's a great question, and it goes back to, all right, what can I control? I can't control what the league's media budget's going to be or the way it markets the teams. I, what I can control is, number one, making sure that I'm doing all I can to tell those stories and to tell them in uh, as a the depth that they need to be told and to tell them in as many outlets as I can find to tell them, but also to hold my industry accountable and to make sure that, you know, if I'm having a conversation with an editor, that the WNBA and women's college basketball are foremost among the stories that I'm trying to get told and that they are, by doing my part, hopefully a larger percentage. But there's more to it than that. There's also making sure that there is a pipeline of talent. And, you know, we've talked about this a little bit, but a big part of why high post hoops matters so much to me is that there really is not, just because, all right, if there's a very small percentage of stories being told about women's basketball and therefore there are media outlets that aren't telling it on a regular basis, you're not necessarily, in fact, you're not, developing the young talent, the people who are coming out of college, who have the opportunity to be fantastic women's basketball writers, but they just don't get the, the chance to do it. And, I, and I've seen it happen, and I've seen it go the other way, that incredibly talented people aren't working in the industry just because there's no place to so much as collect clips to be able to turn around and try and get, you know, one of those bigger jobs down the line. And so to have that pipeline and to have just the ability to be able to work with young people and develop people, and by the way, to develop women and women of color, because that is uh, a parallel but equally persistent problem in this industry, which is the fact that those opportunities are not readily available, is something that's central to my mind, uh, a way to make things better. And so I also think that rebounds to uh, making the coverage of women's basketball better, because I think the more diversity of cultures that you have in coverage, the wider array of stories that get told. And so I just think it all comes together in a way that there is a louder speaker every turn when there are more people telling the stories. And, and so, you know, there's, let's say, some competition uh, in the industry, especially with journalism being such a difficult thing. To my mind, more is always more. And so, you know, I, I love that you guys have this growing the game segment, but to me that, that is central to growing the game is making sure that there are more people best able to tell these stories. That's at least what I think we can do on our end. I really wish, Howard, that more people saw that first thing that you described. So a couple things. The first thing you described was how you felt it was your responsibility to go to the media outlets you work for and to try to urge them, influence them, convince them to create a space for women's basketball coverage. I wish more people saw that as part of their responsibility in growing our sport, not just from a media standpoint, but in anything, right? Because we, yeah. we end up talking about dollars for the WNBA. Well, if we had more people that were willing to go into their companies. Uh, meetings or, you know, when they're talking about sponsorships and saying, hey, what about the women? You know, what about the WNBA? What, maybe mm -hmm. we should invest in this. I mean, we wouldn't be having conversations about player salaries if more people were willing to take the WNBA with them into what 
doing, if you're a fan of it. I'd say that's everyone's right. responsibility, but I think especially looking where the status of women are in the world, equal pay, different things, there are more people that can use their voices to promote women. The other thing that you talk about that really stood out is the diversity and coverage. And I love what you're doing, Howard. I mean, Ari Chambers, Ben Dahl, they are some of my favorite um yeah. people to to watch blossom in this media field their coverage i mean i tell ben all the time i just met him in vegas i thought ben was like a 35 year old guy i had no idea that here's this young guy because he's so deep into analytics he's so knowledgeable like i love and not even the analytics but the but the the x and o's of the game like i'm i yeah. love the x and o's and the fact that he actually embeds telestrations into his article is an analyst dream like, you know, looking at the different varieties of shots that are taken and, you know, Liz Cambage, this is how she scored 53, all the breakdowns. Like, what you guys are doing at High Post Hoops and fans, we're going to say this until we pass out on, on this segment. You need to be following High Post Hoops. I mean, you get an actual notification on your app when there's a story posted, when anything big happens. We don't have that consistently in, in, cover, in women's basketball. And so... What you're doing on all of those levels is so important in, in helping the game grow. And I didn't mean to cut you off. I know you were getting ready to say something. No, not at all. I, 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 I can't tell you what it means to me when you are supportive of what I'm doing because it makes me feel like I am on the right track. And, you know, what I'm trying to do, like, I mean, you talk about the notification, and there's a lot that goes into that thinking for me of what is the infrastructure that we can build? What is it that the women's game doesn't have that the men's game does have so that we're able to build that parity and make sure that the fan experience is the same. And so you talked about people being able to go into business meetings uh, and be able to pitch the WNBA. Well, if you don't have that knowledge, if there's not the ability to have that information in the way that, uh, like you talked about on the NBA side, you know, Steph Curry and what he does, and on and off the court, it's in the air we breathe. It is everywhere. It is you, you cannot consume media without knowing about Steph Curry. And, and I think that's great as a fan of the game of basketball. Uh, but it equally should be the case that you cannot consume media without knowing about Maya Moore in ways large and small and Elena Deladon and, and, and so many others. And so that's the gap that really needs to be closed where – there needs to be, and, and I do think there are more, there are more people I see it. You know, Shea Serrano is, is an example over at the Ringer. I'm so pleased to see him embracing basketball, and he's, he's doing it in the proper way to say, look, I should have done this sooner, and here I am now, and here I am trying to do what I can, uh, and it's another outlet. You know, Natalie Wiener at Bleacher Report. Um, is writing wonderful, in-depth features, but she's also making sure that Bleacher Report is invested in this, large and small. And so it has a ripple effect, and I know it has a ripple effect because I have been places where I get stories uh, turned down about women's basketball when I'm the one pitching them, and then I get stories accepted when three other places are writing about it. And you'd think it would be the other way around, but that's not how it works in this industry. Everyone is looking to make sure that they're covering what is being covered. And if it's not being covered in eight other places, uh, then it's very hard for Editor 9 to step out and make those uh, decisions. I've been fortunate enough 
to find editors in the places that I write that are willing to do it. But for the most part, the way in which we're going to get that crowd of 100 people that should be there uh, for every time Tamika Katchins came to town uh, and came to Madison Square Garden, or the 100 people who should be there when Maya Moore came to New York instead of me being the lone person. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'll never forget that. You, you know, uh, last year when the Minnesota Lynch came to town uh, and I went to say, you know, when is Maya talking pregame? She's right over there. Go talk to Maya. I mean, Maya Moore was <laughs> right. four-time, you know, I just three-time champion at the time, but still, Maya Moore has won everything everywhere. Uh, she should be crowded. It should be hard for me to get to talk to Maya Moore. Your passion just comes across um, just so genuine, so strong. And I, I, I'm glad, I'm always happy when I talk to you because I feel like less of a crazy person. Um, <laughs> because <laughs> I'm like, listen, You're people, me, okay? <laughs> like, we're, we're, we love it, right? And so we want to see it grow. And, and I can't thank you enough, Howard, for all that you have done and bringing connectivity. Um, and coverage and all that you do. I mean, you are just, sometimes I don't see how you get it all done. Um, and I know that's not easy. I've met your wife and she's a, she's a awesome woman and obviously very understanding. Um, so we appreciate her as well, but thank you so much for, for sharing that passion here with us on around the rim and fans. Again, please make sure you are following, subscribing, download high post hoops right now. I promise you, you will not regret it and you can follow howard on social howard your twitter handle uh, at howard mcdall m-e-g-d-a-l it will be one of the best follows that you make um all of 2018 howard thank you so much for your time and for your passion and will i see you at all-star uh, i wouldn't miss it i look forward to it <laughs> all right we'll see you then thank you howard Sounds great. thank you guys Awesome. Oh, that was so much Yes, fun. Howard, you are the ball. That was good. Right, that was awesome. We're going to clip that entire segment and just, like, promote that. Like, seriously, that's how good that was. Like, I, you just broke it down. That was that was amazing. I appreciate it. I, I, I mean, it, it really is just – it. there's – it does feel like there's momentum. Do you feel that way? I'm, I'm wondering from your perspective if you feel that because it, it does I, I seem totally like 2018 is moving in the right direction. No, I totally feel it, Howard. I think, obviously, it, there's so many different trends right now in media. And so what I do, it's easy for me to say I feel it because I'm not writing articles, right? I think that's one of the most difficult things to do in media, period, right now, because people are not clicking or not reading, mm. you know what I'm saying, at the pace yeah. in which, which we would like them or for them to do it. But I think the fact that even someone – scrolls down their timeline and they see that there is something written on women's basketball. It mm -hmm. brings the sport into their, their mind. It gives it more credibility. Like the, these, all these people, it seems like there's so many of us, you know, in the Twitter verse yeah. or on social face. And, and maybe there are, maybe there aren't, but we've, we're giving the appearance that there's an army of us who want to see this league grow and are going to do everything we can. And um, I feel it like nothing else. And after coming from that final four, um, I'm like, uh, this game is going to new places, you know, it's going to Ellen. It's going, you know, I mean, and mm -hmm. so the metrics will be slow. I think to show 
everything that's happening, but mm-hmm. this is a place we'll never we'll never return to. Like, there's nowhere right. that this league is going but up from here. So that, yeah, that I, I mean that plus the way in which the game itself is getting exponentially better every single year. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean it, you know it's amazing, and and it's not like the NBA isn't getting better. But I feel like we're seeing it, and, and maybe it's just sort of like where we are in the growth curve. But, like, I mean, you, you just, I'm sure, experienced this with the All-Star voting. And there were people, you know, who were shooing All-Stars last year who didn't end up on my ballot because, you know, there's a Liz Tambay's now, and there's an Asia Wilson yep. now. And, and you know, yep. we'll, we'll, we'll have another, you know, 10 All-Stars out of this draft class alone. You know, so yep. it's just, it's just astonishing. Yeah, it really is. Well, we appreciate it, Howard, and I hope that we can carve out some time in Minnesota to visit. I look forward to Good. it. Good. I'd, I'd really like that. And, and you mentioned my wife. Regards from Rachel. She was we're, <laughs> we're downstairs having a little get-together, but um, oh. she was happy to send me away when uh, she heard I get to be on your program. Oh, tell her I said thank you for letting us borrow you for a little bit, and um, I tell her I hope to see her again soon. Thanks, Sounds Howard. Sounds good. Safe travels to you both. I, I'll see you soon, hopefully. See ya. You too. Right. Thank Take you. Care. Well, China, it's been one heck of a show. And as always, we want to thank our guest for joining us. Uh, Connecticut Sun Vice President Amber Cox came through to give us so much insight on the business aspect of the WNBA. And of course, we just heard from Howard, who comes through on our Growing the Game segment. And we just are just so excited that so many people um, enjoy talking with us, giving as much information to us so that we can give to you, our fans, as you continue to listen to Around the Rim. So continue to show us your support by downloading the podcast, uh, subscribing to us in the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, as well as on Google Play through Android. Um, we want you to continue to reach out to us via Twitter, hashtag Around the Rim, and follow us at Around the Rim Pod. You can also send us an email at Around the Rim Podcast at gmail.com. We check it regularly. We respond. We like to read some of the emails that we get on right here on the show. So interact with us. That is the reason why we have this podcast because it's not just for us. It is for you. So thanks again, guys. We look forward to talking with you guys next week where we have a special guest that I'm not going to tell you who, but make sure you are following LaChina at LaChina Robinson. You can follow me at she knows sports underscore, and we will talk to you guys later. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.